Well, hello, date nighters. Tony with Beautiful Brewery in sunny Orange County, California, with a very special guest. You do the drum roll, my love, and then I'll do the intro. That drum was a roll? really good drum roll, actually. <laughs> I tried. Dr. Owen Strand. Woohoo! Hey. With in studio, the man, the myth, the legend. He is with us. Thanks, brother, for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, we have so much to talk about, but we've got to start with the important stuff. Number one, you were a baller. Mm. Number two, you were a rapper, (laughs) or you may still be. Mm -hmm. And by the way, we have buttons for these. And Mm. so Ethan has a new for us. Do you remember that one? When he faded away on Craig Elo, the very first shot? I do. Okay. I'm that old. So Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that. Well, I'm thinking that most of our listeners know you, but just in case, let's lay it out. You are the provost at GBTS, Grace Bible Theological Seminary. You were the president for the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, mm-hmm. have authored tons of books. We don't need to go on all of them, but Christianity and Wokeness was one of them. Mm-hmm. You're about to release another, The War on Men, which we'll talk about today, and a ton more. But most important, Bethany and the kids. Give us a quick snapshot. You just put them on an airplane. You're sending them back home. <laughs> Tell us about the family. Yeah, thank you for asking and for the kind words. Um, Yeah, I'm married to Bethany. We're in our 18th year of marriage. We have three kids, uh, Ella, Gavin, and Ainsley, and they are currently in the middle years, which is fun, uh, 15, 12, and 9. And uh, yeah, we live in Arkansas, and we're uh, making a life for God's glory as best we can. I love it. I love it. Should be a great hour. Everything from head coverings to head ship. Are you ready? I'm ready. My love, are you ready? Yes. Ethan, let's roll. All right. Well, let me set the stage. What inspired this episode, along with um, another episode or two that Brie and I are going to be doing, was first Dale Partridge and a few other of the more vocal theonomy guys started pushing head coverings. I'm sure you know about that. You've had a I've heard a about few that. things to say. Yes. <laughs> um, but Dale has since stepped back from <clears throat> public ministry to reassess a few things. That's commendable. Yeah. Um, and second was, we heard of a gal who was in a solid church, but picked up Sarah Bessie's book called Jesus Feminist. Have you heard of that? Or do you remember that book? I do. Yeah. Okay. So she flipped out on her husband, turned on her church friends and went out to start a career. So this is like a total massive oversimplification here, but it hit us. There's two polarizing kind of ends of the spectrum there. Like on one side, it's the end quote wives in the kitchen with their head covering crowd. And then on the other side is women deconstruct and kind of make the Forbes 500 list, right? (laughs) So so we wanted to spend a few episodes trying to help husbands and wives strike the biblical balance. Does that that seem fair? That's great. Just what does the word of God say and Mm -hmm. how do we come to grips with that? So let's just start with definitions. Um, Give us clarity, Dr. Strand, on the big definitions, like um, words like egalitarian, Mm -hmm. words like patriarchy, just so everyone can get kind of a framework for what we're talking about. You willing to do that? Yeah, that's great. I mean, egalitarianism is basically the view that men and women have equal value and the same roles in the home, the church, and society. So there's no real distinctions of role. Um, So that means that the husband is not the head of his wife in a functional form. Um, The man is not the one who's called to provide, protect, and lead the family in terms of the family itself. And in the local church context, men are not called in a unique way to be the elders and shepherds and pastors of the church. Men and women had shared that duty interchangeably. So that's the egalitarian view. That picked up a lot of steam following the rise of feminism in the post-war era, the 60s, 70s, and 80s. In response to that, 
the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood was formed, and that advocates what is called the complementarian uh, view. And the complementarian position is that, yes, men and women are equal in the image of God. Men and women have equal dignity and worth before the Lord, which is a beautiful truth. That's not just things we're saying quickly and then waving a hand at. That's really important for us to say. Um, but then God gave the man and the woman different roles in the home and the church and to some degree in society. And so in the home, the husband is the head of his wife, Ephesians 5. The man is called uh, to lead, protect, and provide his family, provide for his family. And then in the public square, yeah, there's going to be overflow of that for the man. He's going to step up and take leadership as he is able. The woman in the home is going to uh, very much um, enjoy <laughs> the calling of homemaker and wife as God allows her to be in these roles, mother, and she's going to give her all to that. She's going to submit to her husband. That doesn't mean she's going to follow him into sin, but it does mean she sees his leadership and his authority, even in the home, as a, as a blessing from God. Not something that either husband or wife is going to steward or live out perfectly. We need, we need the gospel every single day. We live as husbands and wives. Uh, wives aren't better than husbands. Husbands aren't better than wives. In the church, men are called in the complementarian position to be the elders and shepherds of the church. So um, those are some quick words on those first two. Patriarchy is really it's not dissimilar from complementarianism, really. I would just say it more emphasizes the husband's authority in the home, uh, and it more applies those roles we talked about to the public square, mm. where patriarchalists would be strong and vocal about men needing to be the political leaders in a society and that sort of thing and men being the king of their home and um women very much being in a uh, in some cases subordinate role to their husband and not even really having a lot of say necessarily but i i gotta say I, i've said a lot the the um the strong complementarian wing and the friendly patriarchy wing would not be that different sure in a good number of ways that's fascinating. And just so everyone knows, you know, we often picture a professor or a teacher sitting with a bunch of notes and bifocals, but you're not. You're, you're coming in, you're rolling in with some swag clothes on, you're sitting here across from me, and you just did all that from memory. And so everyone, when you hear Dr. Strand talk, understand it's coming from the overflow of his heart. He literally is sharing this because it's what he believes. So let me probe there for a little bit because there's an obvious thing that I think here in Orange County, I'm going to start with Orange County and then we can extend it out because it's now a global reality. Mm. But there is a growing group of female pastors taking what you just said and saying, okay, you got the egalitarian on one side. Maybe you could argue that patriarchy is kind of on the other and then complementarian at some level is, is more in the middle. Mm -hmm. But let's just say for sake of argument that we want to have a biblical view of the roles of male and female. But now let's go over to the, the female pastors and kind of just check that box, tick that one off, because that seems to be a really growing thing. And here in Orange County with mega churches, you have a ton of them yeah. um, that are being led or just you know taught by by ladies. Mm -hmm. Help us work that out biblically, and then where does that fit in this conversation, in the larger conversation? Man, that's a great question, and I'm so thankful for your ministry and Mission Bible Church here in Costa Mesa and the uh, clear loving stand you've taken on these issues. I know it's not easy in this context, so I'm very thankful for that. Um, I would just say quickly, yeah, this is a major trend for um, 
evangelical churches, a lot of them that were once complementarian leaning, even if they weren't necessarily strongly that way, to embrace um, women at least mixing into the pulpit rotation and doing Mother's Day teaching at minimum, but much more significantly even now being teaching pastors or lead pastors. We've seen that in the OC with Saddleback, for example, uh, where there's basically now a uh, husband-wife duo in the pulpit, mm-hmm. yep. um, uh, Woody and uh, what's the cowgirl's name? Toy Story is all yeah. I know. Yeah. Toy Story, and yeah, and 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 I I've had conversations um, with them in regards to that, mm. and I, I I would pray that they'll be sure. changed. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but as of yet, I've not seen at least any open um, sorrow for. For, for what's going on. But I think even with the SBC thing in general, this is an issue. So this is way yeah. bigger than any one church. This is a, it's a, it's almost like a modern cultural move movement. It is because the idea really at any level that there's something that only a man is called to is just not a thought that goes through the modern American mind. Mm. That is something from 1692 in in the minds of most Americans, something you might read about in history textbooks if they haven't scrubbed that history from it. And so the modern um, impulse today is to make everything either gender neutral or co-gender. Um, and so that means that biblical texts like 1 Timothy 2, 9 to 15, where the Apostle Paul explicitly calls for a man to be the, the head of the church, elders to be the ones who preach and teach and exercise authority over the congregation, that just doesn't play today. And so evangelical churches are embracing that view from a range of postures and a range of degrees. And uh, it puts us in the cultural penalty box. But here's what I would say in conclusion in this little point, Tony. It gives us a great opportunity, actually, to talk about the biblical worldview and to talk about God's design for men and women. It's not bad that there are some things that only women can do. Birth, childbirth. It's not bad that there are some things only men can do. God's call to preach and shepherd. That's God's beautiful design. And when we embrace that design through the power of the gospel, there's all kinds of joy that's unlocked. We've got to be ready to make that case, though, today, because that's very much challenged. Amen. Dr. Strand, thank you for your ministry. We've had many women ask us about head coverings. Uh, Can you explain why or why not women should wear them? Yeah, very good question. Um, I really want to say at the outset, it is a good thing to see Christian women, women in the church, want to obey the Bible. So let's just say that from the outset yep. before we get into the nitty-gritty. And submit Amen. to their husbands. And submit to their husbands. Amen. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. That's a wonderful instinct. So praise God for that. There is a, there is a temptation, though, when you are in a compromised age to swing to the other side. Um, you've got to know that we are constantly going back and forth between extremes, not only in our culture, but in the church. And so you've just got to watch that. And so I would say that when you go to a biblical text like 1 Corinthians 11, 3 to 16, 17, you're looking at the Apostle Paul um, writing to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church is in a wild place. Ancient Corinth is San Francisco, New Orleans, choose it. Blend it all together like a smoothie, and you've got the first century context, a pagan smoothie, if you will. It's really good. That's really weird. <laughs> tweet that. Let's tweet it. Let's tweet it. Okay. A pagan smoothie. Pagan smoothie. I'm not... <laughs> I'm not I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. with you. Yeah, I'm less confident about it than you are. Anyway, 
uh, let's let's recover here. Um, so you've got you've got ancient Corinth. It's a wild context. You've got temple prostitution at the very least. It appears that there's androgynous prostitutes at the temple doing all sorts of things with both sexes. So it's not a good place. It's to that church that the Apostle Paul writes and says, hey, just so you know, I don't want you guys to be androgynous, basically, 1 Corinthians 11. I want men to look like men and women to look like women. And the major distinguisher that he talks about, interestingly, is hair length. Um, and, And that hair length, the longer hair in general of a woman, shows that she is under the headship and authority of her husband, 1 Corinthians 11, again, is the reference here. And so women, as they are able, of course, we're not talking about a woman who's ill or loses her hair or something like that from a condition. A woman who's able grows her hair out longer than her husband, and that shows that she is under authority. Now, it appears from 1 Corinthians 11, 6 and 7, that there is some kind of shawl or, or sweater or something like that that may have been used by the Corinthians. But so... Tony, this is a, and Bree, this is a confusing passage. It's one of the hardest passages, I would say, in the Bible to understand. Paul's talking about angels at one point, and you're like, whoa, we are riding the lightning here. I don't exactly know where we are in all cases, but to get to the clearest we can, at the end of this discussion of um, a woman being distinct from a man and being under the authority of a man, and a woman showing her womanly glory, um, at the end of the passage, Paul says, uh, the, the woman's... Uh, covering is her hair. And so that's how I take that passage in some. More to say. But. Gotcha. <clears throat> so her covering is her hair, mm-hmm. in contrast to the heterai, these prostitutes that are coming down and filling up the city. Um, and so therefore, that would be a specifically enculturated issue as opposed to applying in general to churches of all eras. Well, I would say... What Paul is teaching there does apply through the ages. For the hair. For the hair. But not the covering. But not the covering. Gotcha. Exactly. So on into perpetuity, on into the future, you would then submit that a woman wants to always display herself in a manner that would be appropriate to biblical womanhood, which in this case, according to Paul, would be having hair that looks feminine. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? That's exactly right. I think the Corinthian women that Paul is writing to are using the the shawl or whatever it is. Yeah. And Paul is like, that's no bad thing. That's a good thing. It's a good instinct. I love that you're trying to live out biblical womanhood. I'm paraphrasing here. Sure. But, um, but then at the end of the passage, you're always trying to get to the most clear principle. He says, her hair is given to her for a covering. So mm-hmm. I think he's effectively saying, there's a ton of confusion about this, and, and I would differ fairly strongly from Dale Partridge and others who have made a very strong case the other way, a woman's longer hair is the covering she needs. She doesn't need a shawl. She doesn't need something like that. That is how she displays her womanly glory and beauty. That's Um, very helpful. So are you going to keep growing out your hair longer, my dearest? I'll try, my love. All right, good. (laughs) And if not, wear your sunglasses. That'll be your head covering over the top of your head. We're wearing headphones right now, so that counts. I have a social media question for you on this because we talk a little bit about Dale and, and some of the you know the, the pressure that's coming um, to people in their homes now, not necessarily from the pulpits of their local church pastor, not necessarily from even books that have really thought it through thoroughly mm-hmm. um, by men who are trained, but just mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of movement now in the podcast realm um, that presses in on well-intended Christians that are listening at home while they're you know vacuuming or you know cleaning mm-hmm. up or, you know, sitting on their way to work. 
So is there a developing danger right now of Christians taking too many cues from social media, kind of the podcaster before their pastor? And is there a way to kind of start right-sizing that in people's mind? Thoughts? That is a huge challenge today. Podcasts, in my view, in my judgment, I'm not the Lord or something like that, but I think they can be used. I think they can be good, just like social media can be good, but they can also usurp the place of the church. And um, your favorite podcaster who sits down for 10 minutes in front of a camera and then edits it later and takes out all the infelicities and this sort of thing, the ums or whatever it is, um, they can package themselves really smoothly and even powerfully. And you can get gripped by that such that you end up being led away from the incarnational man and, and team of men who is leading the church you are a part of. And let's just say here, Tony, there are a fair number of people out there who aren't in local churches, too. And, and they're professing Christians, and on social media they're Christians, and content and, you know, great um, sun-splashed pictures of their family on Instagram and that sort of thing, uh, and Bible verse quotes, but they're not necessarily living this out. Well, for that group, which I would say is fairly sizable in the American context, um, the podcasting pastor, that's in air quotes for those listening, um, is very convenient Hmm. because you don't have to submit to him. You don't have to be under his authority in any um, week-by-week sense. You can put yourself under his authority in the general virtual sense, but he doesn't know you. You don't know him. And so, um, yeah, it's it's very convenient to have a man like that as your air quotes pastor. And uh, that's a real challenge today. That is a huge point. You can have and take the best of what you appreciate from said personality, mm-hmm. but then everything Hebrews thirteen seventeen, wherein you would have to submit, bringing him joy mm-hmm. and not sorrow, you can just bypass and ignore that you would typically get in a local church where you're being properly shepherded. That's, that's a very important point for people to hear. Yeah, it's a form of, it's a different form of the virtual challenge we've seen in the area of lust and sex, you know, not to get impolite or something like this, but hey, you've got a virtual woman you can go to Mm. whenever you want. You don't have to deal with the ups and downs of marriage and long days and challenges and kids and all, all the challenges that intrude in a real flesh and blood God designed marriage. Instead, few clicks, load up an image on your phone, Mm. uh, put it away when you're done. It's all on your terms. I think people are very much in danger of approaching church in exactly the same virtualized way. And again, it's not just that the podcast, air quotes, pastors have an appeal uh, and people are being lured away by them. It's that people like that model. (laughs) They want that model. They don't want a flesh and blood man like you shepherding them. Mm. They, they want this kind of, uh, uh, you know, packaged presentation of a pastor. Fascinating. Ironic that we're having that conversation on a podcast as well. On, a, just on a podcast. Make sure that we do acknowledge <laughs> that. Let's slide over to real life here because you are a real person. Um, obviously, you're a rapper and a baller and a theologian, but like you, <laughs> you, you are a real guy with a real wife. Yes. So, for example, with you and Bethany, um, as a husband, let's call it complementarian, a biblical view of marriage, what does that biblical marriage look like in the strand home? Like, mm. what, what are the roles? What are the conversations like? Because I guarantee there's going to be someone listening. And they're like, all right, you know, I don't want to be the, you know, you know, the feminist preacher wearing my stilettos and tight skinny jeans. And I'm not, I'm not with that crowd. Right. I'm also not with 
technically, you know, the, the patriarchy crowd where I'm going to just make my wife stay at home and only clean floors. But like, take us into this real world strand home where, you know, you're obviously loving your wife above yourself. You're obviously protecting and providing. We get the, the principles and I guarantee Bethany is respecting you and submitting to your leadership and raising those three kids in a way that is in the discipline instruction. Lord. I guarantee. But now take people into the real life fabric of it. Mm. What's it like on a day to day? It's not Does boring. She always, okay. <laughs> Does she always do what, what, exactly what you say? Is it, or are there moments where you disagree? How do you navigate that? Oh, man. Such a great question. And I think uh, people are desperate to know this, the answer to this question. Not that I have the answer, but they're, they're desperate to work out uh, these biblical teachings because the family has broken down. And so many people coming into our churches even. These are the people who look, again, on Instagram, shiny and happy and neat. But yet, that may not be their background, and that very much may not be their present situation. So again, don't believe what you see on social media. Um, I try not to put a lot of behind-the-scenes photos of my marriage and family on social media. It's not necessarily wrong to, but because that's really the world God has created. That's our little haven and our little private zone. Uh, I am not a perfect leader. I strive toward the biblical ideal by the power of God's grace to be that leader, protector, and provider. So I strive to make good decisions and set things up well and, um, you know, set a course for the family and in a given day, link up with different family members and try to get everybody, you know, rolling the same way, all the tanks headed the same general direction. Um, but my wife also doesn't submit to me perfectly and agree with me in every case and um, never have a challenging moment um, in our marriage in terms of our communication and um, love for one another is not perfect either. Um, we've even seen, we're in year 18, uh, we've even seen that in years past, we've we've in some seasons gotten into some patterns that weren't great patterns. Nothing that you would see on TMZ, just so you know. Um, <laughs> Uh, not that TMZ would be interested in us, but um, no reason for them to be. But nothing horrific. But I think this is where a lot of couples are too. They're not in the horror zone, um, but they're also not in the heaven zone in terms of the marriage has no challenges, no flaws, never even a disagreement. No, it's not that. And they feel bad when there are sin patterns that have to be worked on and repentance that has to be tendered and confession that has to happen. And, and the children, by the way, to bring in the children, they don't always obey you perfectly. Just because you have a solid vision for family doesn't mean the kids are going to magically obey you all the time. So, hmm. a day in the life. I love the day in the life. You keep mentioning I'm a baller. I'm a failed basketball player <laughs> in truth. You got an offer, or you got a letter of interest from a D3 school in Maine. <laughs> so come on, man. I was telling you earlier, our legends grow. So right yes. now... That's the story. <laughs> Ten years from now, it's going to be dad got an offer yeah. from yeah. an NCAA school. Yeah. And it's just going to keep growing. See, my, that's the way it works. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, a day in the life of. Yeah. We just put it on a podcast, too, so that makes it real, right? I mean. Oh, I, I, never <laughs> mind, kids. It was not a D3 offer. 
That's right. I could I could actually help the story grow. Yeah. You, Owen Strand was offered a uh, an opportunity by contract to play in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish. Yeah, day in the life, you've got these things, they follow a basketball player. So day in the life of the Strand household is not going to be super exciting at all. But I'm trying to get to my job. I'm trying to, you know, build my vocation work those hours and uh, faithfully provide for my family. My wife is handling the homeschooling of our three kids. Um, We have been able to work in some of the tech options that you have because I think there can be a lot of burden on homeschool moms. And Bethany and I are not of the conviction that we have to homeschool the kids. They've been in Christian school in years past. There's other options um, Christian parents can undertake. It's a it's a evolving target in some cases for different families, but homeschool, man, Hey, the deal with homeschool that people don't know about is like, you think it's this whole like educational renaissance for the soul and, and it can be okay. It's also just a lot of fun because you have all this time, Agreed. you know, yeah. and you're not like subject to the constraints where your kids are effectively little contractors who go to this place Mm. for so long and then they come home and they are so tired. So instead, you can squash homeschooling into several hours, a few hours, two to three hours maybe. I don't know. It varies. And uh, so Bethany's overseeing that. And then, you know, my oldest daughter is this champion baker. um, And so she's baking. And my, my little girl is in her room playing her imaginary games that she loves to play. My son is terror, terrorizing the neighborhood, trying to find boys <laughs> to play basketball with or football with or some sort of contact sport with, you know, with his 2,000% more testosterone on average than a young woman. And so, but that's all good. There's a, there's a, there's a beautiful chaos to it that um, unfolds. We come together for dinner most nights, although we do have church activities and some sports activities, and increasingly as my son in particular gets older, but we try to have dinner together. And then we'll frequently, um, you know, have some fun family time, play Quirkle, play Dutch Blitz, play um, Rummy Cube. What's Quirkle? Oh, <laughs> I'm confused. Let is that with Peg and Smoothie? I'm, <laughs> so Quirkle is... Quirkle. If they don't get anything from Your this Your pause podcast, right now has me leaning in. <laughs> this is it. If they get nothing else, try Quirkle. Quirkle is um, like a shapes and colors game. Okay. Uh, it's kind of like Mahjong. Spelling it? Q- Q-U-I-R-K-L-E. Quirkle. Quirkle. I'm checking out. I'll check it out. I was not planning on. You might. Next family night. Yeah, you watch. Next family night. We're going to become world champion masters. Quirklers. (laughs) Quirklers. Is is there? Okay. We're quirklers. We just made it up on the spot. I'm fine with that. I want to be a quirkler. Well, I love that. Dr. Stan, for the ladies who are hearing this for the first time, much of what they've seen on TV is the dominant woman Mm -hmm. who, in quote, you know, runs the show. How do they untangle or reframe their perspective? Wow, great question. Well, what we need to say, among other things, as complementarians is we don't want to squash the gifting of women. So as complementarians, we're not saying we're so anti-culture that when a woman gets gripped by this vision, you know, she never does anything the rest of her life or she only folds laundry and never says a peep. That's not at all what um, the Bible holds out as the vision of biblical womanhood that I would stand by and find in Scripture. So a woman who is changed by Christ and thus embraces this vision, I think sees herself as using her gifts in the, in the fullness 
of God's blessing and God's smile. So she's after it. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife, oh, you're talking about day in the life again, is not sitting on the couch a lot. I'm guessing like you, Brie. I mean, I have to try to slow her down. I'm like, honey, you know, watch Cook's Country on TV or something. <laughs> we, we played the I Love Lucy clip, you know, watch I Love Lucy or something like this. Don't wear yourself out. But but she um, she's using her gifts in the role God has given her she's building a vocation. We, we too often think that the men have a vocation and they provide and the woman just does home stuff. And it's not at all the case. The men have a vocation and it's honorable and good and work is good and providing is good. And it's not wrong to make money for your family, steward it wisely. But so too does the woman have a vocation. Um, Edith Schaefer is very good on this, the hidden art of homemaking, right? And the tapestry. And the tapestry. Amen. Um, She's so good on what's in the Bible explicitly. Proverbs 31, 1 Peter 3, Titus 2, uh, 1 Timothy 5, and other texts where you get this picture of full-orbed womanhood, and she has a real vocation of being a mother, being a wife, being a homemaker, serving her church, serving needy people in the church, she's not leading this dry and dull life that has no use of gifting. Her gifting, by contrast, is being poured out. Mm. And so that's good. That's a start to your Thank you. good question. The, that book that you just mentioned, the yellow one, <clears throat> I only know is, no, only know is yellow, the yellow one, right? The handmaker, homemaker's handbook. Is that the one you just mentioned? Mm-mm. What's Edith's book? Her book is The Hidden Art of Homemaking. The Hidden Art of Homemaking. Who wrote the... Uh, it was several authors. It was several authors. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about it's that like next a week. We're going to talk about that. Because yeah. I want to contrast the Bessie book, Jesus Feminist, with Edith Schaefer's book, and then the handmaker's homemaker, homemaker, handmaker. Manual. Help me out here. Yeah. Manual? I, I can't think of the exact name right okay. now, but you're so right they're both yellow. Yeah. Okay. And I want to have a competing yellow book. If here's truth, <laughs> here's not. Love it. So but I am fascinated that you brought up Edith Schaefer because, yeah, her ministry ended up being, you know, worldwide from the home. Mm. What an impact she had mm-hmm. um, in reproducing and exporting the way that she um, lived as a, as a homemaker. Mm-hmm. Um, perfect spot right there to encourage the guys. So I'm, I'm, I'm tracking, I'm hoping to track with ladies. They're listening, they're going, okay, I'm actually seeing and finding some freedom here. You know, I've, I've got a role. It's a vital role. I have my value and my essence, but I also have a role that's a vital role. I have a vocation. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're married to someone who's allowed you to to live out that role, um, praise God for that. And, and you want to be confident and joyful and hopeful as you step into it. But I, I want to just slide over there and transition it to the guys and talk about your book here. Speak to the men, because mm-hmm. we see a society that's collapsing. Homes are splitting. Men are feminizing. I'm going to quote, quote your book here. Society hates real men. Mm-hmm. So talk to them. Just open mic. Just talk to them. What do you want to say? Love it. I want to say to men that they're not toxic, that um, they're not idiots or goofballs or outmoded. They're not worse than women. Um, and if they have found themselves in a tough spot, even now when they're listening to this, if things at their workplace are not going well, if they lost their job, if their marriage is not ideal, if their family dynamics are not great, if there's estrangement with children, on and on it goes. I want men to hear that they should not be thrown into the dumpster, uh, as honestly you could kind of hear society communicating to them. 
I want men to hear that they are made in the image of God, just like women. And I want men to hear that God has himself built manhood. Manhood glorifies God. It's honorable. There's all sorts of joy in it uh, when you live it out. And there is real freedom, by the way, in how we live out manhood and womanhood both. There's lots of gray areas and questions that we raise and we, we can answer in slightly different ways. We want to say that. But fundamentally, with this new book, The War on Men, and with just what I try to say in general to men, I want to lift up the head of men and not push women down, not at all. But I want to lift up the head of men and say, even if the locusts have eaten years in your life, the grace of God is a very powerful reality. It is the most powerful reality in the cosmos. And even if you don't exactly know where to begin, you can start again today. And um, there is going to be real fulfillment and joy to be found in embracing who God made you to be as a man. If you have a family, being a leader, protector, and a provider. If you're a young man or even a boy and you're listening to this, um, there's tremendous potential before you to serve Christ in in the home, in the church, and in society. And so that's a very countercultural issue. All of this, though, terminates in this one conviction. God does not call men to be weak. God calls men to be strong. You think of David talking to Solomon in 1 Kings 2.2, be strong and show yourself a man. David doesn't mean be strong against women and children for no good reason. He's, but he is essentially calling Solomon to be what I call a dangerous man, a man who is dangerous against evil, a man who is dangerous against his own sin, a man who is dangerous against um, laziness, a man who gets after it for the glory of God. Preach. That's good. I could keep going. <laughs> well, and there's even in chapter, what is it, chapter 9 or 10, you have a list for boys kind of to become men. I forget what the title of that chapter is. It's it's like a chart or a list or battle a, plan a, a or battle something. plan for boys, which is great because if men and women are reading this, specifically the men, and they get to the end, they go, but now I want this for my son. You know, you're literally putting in a game plan of the fundamentals so that he can become a man of God. That's mm-hmm. really good. Here's a quote from the book. Respond to this. You said, men... The losing will not be theoretical. You as a man will lose. Everything you've loved and treasured will be taken from you. Led by gender theorists, outspoken celebrities, leftist politicians, secular therapists, you will unlearn traditional manhood. You'll break with religious doctrine that dares to tell men to act like men and man up. You'll embrace your feminine side. You'll stop seeking to be strong. You'll embrace being soft. You'll learn to live or to love androgyny. You'll blur your gender, queer your sex, and live not according to God's design, but the pagan lies, mm-hmm. end quote. That's a paragraph. <laughs> That's a challenge. That's a line in the sand. Do you want to double down on that and share anything for the guys listening here in that? Oh, yeah, double down. No blinking. I mean... Yeah, that's, that's what our culture is basically communicating to boys, young men, and men when it's saying, don't embrace toxic masculinity. Don't be aggressive. Don't be assertive. Don't be a risk taker. Don't stifle your emotions. Um, embrace androgyny. Um, be softer. Um, be more feminine. Embrace your feminine side. The future is female. There's all sorts of slogans and ideas out there that are being sold to men today that encourage men basically to not be men. And I am this voice uh, speaking into the wind of culture, as it were, trying to say, we absolutely as men want to be kind and gentle and loving and tender. Uh, You think of Jesus. Jesus is the true man. Jesus was very tender. 
Matthew 19, 13 to 15, little children were brought to Jesus, and he didn't say, get them away from me. I'm an alpha male. I don't want to see kids. I have no place for kids. No, he said, let them come to me. He loved kids. <laughs> he, he, he enjoyed having kids around him. So strong men, biblical men, are tender. But str- so far, our culture is fine with that. But strong men are also tough. Mm-hmm. We have to be tough. We have to be traditionally masculine. We have to be assertive, aggressive, risk takers. We do have to stifle our emotions. We do have to do hard things. We are the ones who don't complain. I say to my to my son, when we're very hungry and uh, the Chick-fil-A comes home and, you know, it's being parceled out and uh, some of us in the room might want it sooner than others, I say, son, dads eat last. <laughs> dads eat last. That's just a little expression where yeah. I'm trying to communicate hopefully against the lies about strong manhood, that being a strong man does not mean imperially, colonialistically, taking everything you want and getting what you what you would have first. No, it actually means being like Christ by the power of the Spirit and you putting others before yourself. So good. A velvet brick, tough and tender. Jesus, the one who could have called down angels from heaven, mm. walked to the cross. Mm. So good. And by the Thank way, you. I have a buddy who told, just taught his son, you know, it's a man's job to kill the spiders too. <laughs> I got to teach my kids that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. I got to say there, I'm sorry. When I come home, mm-hmm. day in the life, continuing yeah, here, yeah. even beyond what was asked for, uh, I will come home and there will be cups um, on the floor uh, turned over. And I'm like, do you have, do you ever have this? I'm like, why is there? I know what's on. <laughs> and it is a spider to kill. Yeah. And it has been there for hours. Bethany says, that's your job. That's my job. I covered him. You must now terminate him. She did the, she did the hard work. And then Owen walks in. And he I says, come I'll in. I'll be back. I go alpha on that spider. Good for you. Good for you. Not even alpha lie. male. That's right. That's not toxic. It. On that note, this is a total curveball. Just, just one last big question here. Mm-hmm. Total curveball. Just real world, real life, time in which we live. It's an election year. You can already feel the socio-political dust storms, mm-hmm. all right? Peg and left's going to start gun. The guns are going to be blazing. Mm-hmm. Talk to the men. What do Christian men need to prepare for and hold on to the next 12 months? Oh, my word. Told you it's curveball. As if we haven't wandered into enough already <laughs> um, of substantive discussion. That's such a good question. What I would say to men is we've got to step up and be active in the public square. We've got to be uh, those who are leading our families. We want to help our families make sense of the world. Um, At dinner, when we have those family dinners, we don't want to just sit there like a lump. We certainly don't want to sit there on our phone, distracted and not engaging our wife and kids, like you see all the time when you go out to a restaurant. Now when you go out to a restaurant, by the way, you see not just dad on his phone, you see every family member on their own device not paying attention to each other. So, um, but I digress. So I want, I I would pray for dads to be um, really plugged in, uh, in the right way, not meaning uh, reading every political news site or something or Twitter feed, but just helping their family know that this is going to be a serious election. People are very much going to disagree. I would have dads recover um, a right understanding of family worship. I think there's a lot of freedom in how to do it. There, sometimes people talk about family worship, and I'm like, that's really good. I'm not quite sure the New Testament says to do all of that, like every single day for three hours. But, um, but you know, leading the family, however it works out, to pray together, read the word, know biblical truth, 
talk about the gospel, apply the gospel when siblings quarrel and feelings get hurt, etc. and so on. All that shepherding work that every single dad is called to, not just men in ministry like you and me, all that work is going to help that family uh, be in a little boat that uh, navigates the choppy waters mm. of this crazily tumultuous political age. I find my own soul, Tony, just wrapping this up, very much pulled uh, asunder, you know. Um, You you get on social media today, and you're like, man, Christians, so much for Christianity against the world, like, it's Christians against Christians. And Twitter's always been good at that, right? But I engage on social media and stuff like you do. I really am starting to wonder, honestly, if, if at some level this is a tool of division, I don't, I don't think it has to be. I'm not here to say that directly. At the very least, though, I'm trying to watch myself more carefully with social media, and I think we probably all need to if we're engaged there because it just feels like we are dividing and then subdividing and sub-subdividing, yep. and that's just not healthy. Yep. Canceling the person who was canceled, who canceled, who got canceled. Oh, my word. So pretty soon it's you and I sitting in a room by ourselves, mad at the world fascinating time in which we live yeah christians have always been good at that though that's true We've always been good at kind of shooting our own something to think about isn't it 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 is that's a great place great place to wrap it up so i mean as a as a father and as a leader as a christian as a man i want to make sure that i that i am thoughtful um, about how i'm engaging not only the world but also guarding my family and leading them but also protecting my own soul mm-hmm. these next 12 months because there's going to be a lot of stuff that it's going to be coming I would say that's almost priority A, even politically, is like protect your soul. Like be offline a lot. Go on walks. Be <laughs> off your phone a lot. Dad and mom both. Um, probably less Facebook and Twitter usage and content and all that Instagram, whatever. Not, not that those things are sinful. We're not here to create a new law. But um, yeah, we need to, and we need to know, I guess maybe this is a synthesis point for this conversation. We need to know that our families and our marriages are a major form of witness today. Hmm. So I don't know if we can rent out the local coliseum or sports facility. Maybe we can, maybe we can't. I can tell you this, you being a happy Christian family that loves the gospel and forgives each other and being a happy married couple who, who talks things through and forgives each other, that itself is a massive W. And that itself is a major form of witness today. I'm, I'm not just meaning static witness. I mean like people are going to go, why do you guys stick together? Why do you love each other? Why are you not on your phones at Applebee's? Um, we don't go to Applebee's. But anyway, if you do, wherever you go, in and out, or Applebee's, or, or Chipotle, Outback. or Outback. Oh, come on. Cheesecake Factory. So good. Witness. <laughs> Owen's book, The War on Men, Why Society Hates Them and Why We Need Them, out in a couple of weeks, available now for pre-order on Amazon. So if you're a guy thinking, I'm tired of what society's done to manhood, or a wife, and you're thinking, our home needs this, then jump online and order it. All right, so you already said you're down to do a bullet round. Sure. All right, we're going to fire off questions, or just we're going to fire off one word or a name, yes. and then you just give us your instant response. Okay. You have one second to respond. So one the second? The heart, the mouth speak. We're going to find out a lot about you today. Uh, literally know? one second? Well, or two. I don't care. It's, oh, my, you're feeling my convictions generous. aren't your commands. Yeah, <laughs> okay. it's okay. Whew. But like I said, Easy did it. Okay. Grant did it. James and Aaron, everyone's doing it. So <laughs> if you bail. All right, first one. You ready? Ethan, are you going to give this man some... Uh, some if, if you do well, he might cheer you. 
If you do poorly, okay. you might get Lawson or Sproul or somebody else. You, I don't know Pac-Man. what he'll do. I don't Pac Man or some weird thing. Okay, here we go. Phil Jackson, uh, excellent coach, weird dude. <laughs> That's actually a really good answer. Okay, my love. Winston Churchill. If I could, I would stand up and salute him right now. <laughs> amazing, the most amazing statesman politically of the last three hundred years. Are you hearing this? Are you hearing this? I did not know. Okay, I I, I did not know that Owen was a big Winston fan. Aww. And, and I just found that out. And and, and like it's just, I feel like I've met my my best friend. I Blood brothers. Winston. Cat, cats. <laughs> love cats. Grew up in a cat home. We're not. We're not friends anymore. <laughs> love them. We were. We were really, really becoming close. <laughs> Keep going. I, explain that to me. You grew up in a cat home, like a real cat home. Yeah. Like a lot of cats. Like two cats, and uh, they have lots of personality. You have to work at them. You have to win them over. When you win them over, they are yours forever. That's that's okay. Or they chew out your eyeballs at night. But one of the something. Fair happens. point. Yeah. Okay, number four. Your kids. My kids are. My chief, along with my wife, earthly blessing. Um, they are so fun in very different ways. And the second they are out of my presence, I'm thinking, man, the light just drained out of uh, the picture. So it just happened today, didn't it? It did. This morning, it did. Christ. Wow. Ooh, you hit me there. Uh, full of grace and truth. Um, the one who struck. A perfect balance in that respect. And balance, as we've talked about in different ways, has fallen on hard times. I've even critiqued it in recent months and years. Like, oh, balance, winsomeness, all these things. But when I look at Christ, especially as I, as I keep getting older, it's happening, I think, wow, what a balance. What a blend. Perfectly spoke truth. Perfectly stood for all that uh, God would stand for as the God-man, fully God, fully man, truly God, truly man, and yet also full of grace. And the grace side, as I get older, this is super long, but keeps getting dialed up as I see increasingly how much I need it as the years go by. Amen. Well, brother, thank you for taking on a tough but crucial subject in the church and in the country. What I love about you is your guts and your holy boldness. You know, you're a kind guy. And I think sometimes people don't know that. Yeah. But where the battle wages Mm. um, is where I always see you standing. Mm. And um, so thanks for being willing to come on today. Thank you. Are you willing to pray us out? Yeah, I am. Father, thank you so much for the woods. I thank you so much for this uh, podcast. And Father, we do see you using all sorts of different media for your glory. And we thank you for that. We thank you that the work of your kingdom is not restricted to first century methods. And so I just pray for this strong ministry. I pray that it will only continue to grow and more will be strengthened through it. I pray that people will come to faith through it. I pray that marriages will be stronger for it. I pray that families will be stronger for it. I pray for Mission Bible Church. so thankful for it. And I just pray that you'd only continue to pour out your spirit upon it. And again, save many and strengthen many in the faith. These are such evil days, days when everything feels shaken almost all the time. But I praise you that in the midst of all this, Father, your son is building his church. He is building his church perfectly. He is building his church and no one can stop him from building. And so I pray that you would be doing that here and throughout the world. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, Ethan, I would say that this man deserves some applause. What do you think? Deep name.
fam. We will be back in a week for more on homemaking, patriarchy, and a response to Sarah Bessie's book, Jesus Feminist. So big thanks to the FDG fam and our Mission Bible family. Don't forget to leave us a review, send a message, and most of all, keep living for the gospel and fighting for the family. And play Corkle. <laughs>